I mean, I haven't seen most of you all summer long. Somebody came up to me today and said I have a, a, a fresh pastor smell. I'm not sure what that is. But I thought about it. I thought, well, I guess that's probably better than an old pastor smell. So I'm not sure what either one of those smell like. And I'm not offering to be smelled by anybody here but my wife. So uh, at any rate, be, be that what it is. I want to do a series of messages this fall on the subject of hope. So the song you just heard was really chosen with, with that purpose in mind, to focus our hearts and minds on the biblical word hope. You know, we, we say hope a lot, don't we? I hope it doesn't rain. Hope it does rain. Hope I can wake up on time for work tomorrow. Uh, hope the kids come in on time. We, we say hope statements all the time. And in this series called The Habits of Hope, we're going to look at more than natural hope. Those little examples I just gave you, those are examples of natural hope, things that we hope will happen. Natural hope is different than Bible hope, and I want you to begin to see that in a fresh way today. I'm sure you understand that already in some measure, but we're going to go a little deeper in this series on the whole biblical theme of hope. You know, it was Henry David Thoreau who made no claims to be a believer uh, from my uh, understanding but he made a great statement that I think applies to believer or non-believer alike. I think it's, it's an axiom. It's a, it's a, well, a well-attested uh, truth. He said this, and you know, many of you know it. He said, the mass of humanity lead lives of quiet desperation. You've heard that. Many of you have heard that. Uh, they lead lives of quiet desperation. I think there's some truth to that, even among people of faith. I'm a pastor. And I know that we can sit here, stand here, and sing songs such as Standing on the Promises and other great songs while our insides are churning with worry, while our insides are twisting and worrying about next week or this situation. And we don't always feel or experience the hope that we talk about. Why is that? If we're honest with ourselves, and I hope we'll try to be this morning, I'm going to just make a statement. I think the hope meter, if we can use that as a metaphor, our little hope meter is not as high as we want it to be. We're hoping, we know we should be hopeful people, and so we want to portray that, and we know what to say to look hopeful, and we want to encourage others to be hopeful. But that doesn't mean we're really living in a lot of hope. And if, if we'll take a hard look inside and ask the Holy Spirit to help us look inside, because it's hard to be that honest with ourselves, I think for some of us today, the hope meter is just flickering. It's just, very, it's just, it's just barely there. And for others, well, it's a little bit more alive, and, and maybe someone's you know, pegging it. I don't think anybody's pegging it. Did anybody here wake up this morning, and you, just, you looked at the ceiling before you got out of bed, and you said, I've just never been more hopeful in my life. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stand another ounce of hope. I'm just so loaded with hope today. And if that's you, I want to I know what, what your habits of, of hopefulness are. I need to get to know you better and, and learn from you. Now, hope is a struggle. You know, I looked forward to being back with you this morning. I'm so glad to be here. But I, before I began the first message over an hour ago, I got news that a good friend of mine had passed away. I'm like, oh, not only is that sad to me, but the timing. It's like, what? No, not right now. Because now I want to grieve. Part of me just needs to go alone and 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 grieve. But I can't do that right now. I, gotta, I can't do that yet. Maybe later today. But hope, things are challenging our hope all the time, aren't they? The news challenges your hope. Uh, making, a, making ends meet challenges our hope. Uh, keeping friendships healthy or staying alive in your marriage or what have you. 
you name it. A million challenges to, to being a person of hope. And so what happens is we can easily slip into a point of desperation, but we just kind of go on looking like we're hoping, but we're not. Or we're, really, we're not sure we should hope anymore. Our hopes have been maybe laid aside so often that we just don't know if we, if we have the confidence to hope like we used to. We don't know if we have hope to get the joy back that we once knew. You know, we can become people of greater hope. I want to say that right out the, the, the shoot this morning. You can become a person of greater hope. Secondly, you can, be, you can become a person of renewed hope if your hope is really dire or low, low today. You know, my late mentor and friend, Haddon Robinson, used to tell me, Kent, he said, God constantly surprises us. That's a good thing. You know, and his surprises are, are good. He surprises us with beauty, joy, with hope. I'll give you a great biblical example of that. You know, before our Lord came uh, to this earth, before Jesus came, there was what we might call messianic fever in uh, Israel. People have been talking for centuries about the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, there'll be no more poverty. When the Messiah comes, there'll be no more broken homes. When the Messiah comes, those Romans will no longer be oppressing us. We will be free. And then the Messiah came. And none of those things changed significantly. In fact, the disciples who knew and believed that he was the Messiah had their hopes crushed when they looked upon a Roman cross and saw their Messiah dying. That didn't fit the narrative. That didn't fit the, their understanding of the prophecies. Even though the Old Testament prophecies predicted the Messiah that was coming would suffer and die, humanly, they added to those expectations and had all of these extra-biblical expectations. That's why a lot of people rejected Jesus, because he didn't fit their perceptions, their expectations. And when he died on the cross, let me tell you, friends, if you were a follower of Jesus in that day, and you'd have been standing there with those men and women who saw that, your hope would have died with him. Because that's what happened to them. Their hopes died. Their hope meter didn't just go down to flicker, it just exploded. Their dreams died. You know what they were, had been saying just hours before? Can we reign with you in your kingdom? Who will you grant to be at your right hand? Do you see their expectations? And those expectations were not met. All of a sudden, he's dying. And they know what happens when people die. They generally stay dead. And that was their expectation. And then a few days later, he's standing in their midst and he emulates peace. And he says to them, Shalom, peace I give to you. And they looked. Thomas gets down on his knees, my Lord and my God. Hope was reborn. But you know what they had to do in their minds, their thinking? They had to do what I'll call a majestic flip-flop. Their expectations of the Messiah were, were only partially right. Their Messiah came as promised by Scripture, but he was a suffering Messiah, a dying Messiah who had power over death, who rose from death and was alive in front of them again and now gave them a mission and a commission to tell the world about who he really is. And his kingdom was not going to come in its fullness when the Messiah showed up. It's going to come when he returns. So they had to do a majestic flip-flop in their thinking and realize Ah, oh, wow. The one that we put our hopes in, that temporarily we lost all hope in, is the Messiah indeed, and he's got power over death, and his mission was different, broader, and deeper than we understood it to be. 
And now they became people of hope again. That's a simple but powerful, I hope, biblical example of how God surprises people. He did it with them. He'll do it with you and with me throughout our whole lives in many beautiful and brilliant ways. Because he, he, he's made us to be a people of hope. In fact, don't take my word for it. Would you read 1 Peter 1.3 with me? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We need to pass the orange juice around or the coffee or something. You guys are quiet. Oh, man, did you work too hard this summer or play too hard? You're just like, nah, nah, nah. give me some hope. No. No, oh, look at that verse. Is that not, is that, I hope that, I hope, I hope that you, you see it. God, if you're in Christ, you have been given a living hope. That isn't a, a kind of hope he's included me in his family. I kind of hope that I can be hopeful. He's, he's put his hope within you. But life maybe has knocked it out of you. Maybe you've let worry knock it out of you. You've let fear or frustration. And, and we all fight those battles, do we not? Oh, what happened? Why did mankind fall into this place to begin with? Why are, why are we born with such a brokenness of hope? I think you know the answer, if you know Genesis at all, the first book of the Bible. The Apostle Paul comments on it. Our first parents, when they sinned against God, when they acted against his will, they acted against their own best interests. And that separation that was created in that relationship between Adam and Eve and God, of course, has uh, followed through every succeeding generation. The Bible says, as in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive, all who put their faith in Christ. But the Apostle Paul was telling the Ephesian believers in the New Testament era about, uh, about the, the Gentiles as a people, not the Jews, but the Gentiles. He said they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Sin, which broke the relationship our first parents had with God, the God of all hope, not only put them in a dire place and made them mere mortals that would face death, and separated them from God spiritually, but it broke the hope mechanisms within us because when you're alienated from your creator, you can't have true hope. You can't have Bible hope. But when you're put in Christ, that can be completely rebirthed in your life. You start to become the man or the woman, the young person that God created you to be, redeemed in Jesus, alive to God in that real relationship that, that you have with him, and hope can live again even if it's faded in your life today. It can live again. Oh, please believe that. You know, I can't see human hearts, but I, I can think critically as a pastor, just, just life experience. Again, I maybe said this already, forgive me for repeating myself, but I think the hope meter is kind of flickering here with a, with a number of us. I just know it is because life just has a way of doing that to us. You're wondering if you're going to get through this next semester or if you're going to be able to finish that job well or if you're going to make ends meet next month or you fill in the blank. And then I'm standing up here telling you, oh, hope, hope, hope. And you're saying, yeah, I wish I could. You can. You can, but not because you were pep-talked into it, because the Word of God assures it. But you need, to, you need to trust that's true. We need to have faith. We were separated from the God of hope through our human sin. Separated is alienated. Same word. Some translations actually use that word in, in that Ephesians passage I just gave you. But you're no longer aliens, the Bible says, to the God of hope if you're in Christ if your life has been united to Jesus. And so you've got to hold on hope. Whether you feel it or not, you have a legitimate claim on hope. 
living hope that pervades worry, that pervades fear, that holds you up. And yes, the world's a dark place. Yes, there's brokenness, there's homelessness, there's joblessness, there's all kinds of things. But Lewis Smedes reminds us that God hasn't given up on this world as dark and difficult as it is. I love this quote. He says, a mere baby, after all, lying in a manger long ago, is still a sign of hope that the Creator, He has not, He has joined with this earth. He's not walked away from this earth, and He's heaven bent on fixing it. He's bent on fixing hope in our broken lives, even as believers. He is. Now, I'm going to be realistic and say that doesn't mean He's going to fix everything the way you want it fixed. That, that can be just natural hope. But biblical hope is stronger than that. Well, let's talk about this a little bit more. What, is, what are we talking about? Two kinds of hope here. Two kinds of hope. Natural hope, and we all know what that is. Natural hope is, I hope this and I hope that, but we have no control over it, over what we're hoping for, and we don't know if it's going to happen, and it may not happen. We hope, my, we hope our team wins today. Uh, we hope that the kids come home from school instead of running around. We hope and hope and hope. That's natural hope, isn't it? Sure it is. That's what natural hope is. Bible hope is different than that. And we're going to explore it more in the upcoming Sundays. Today is just the kickoff. But the point I want to start with is to tell you that you can grow in biblical hope and hopefully learn to do less natural hoping. It's good to have hope. We need hope. Hard to live without hope. Hard to serve in this church, isn't it, if you're not hopeful? We're standing up here as your staff this fall and as other leaders, and we're saying, boy, I hope you get involved in Awana. hope you get involved in a small group. hope you do this, hope you do that. We hope, hope, hope. Before you can do that with any joy, I mean, you can do it without joy, right, or without hope, but it's not going to be very fun. You can't, you can't serve Jesus well in the church or go to your job and enjoy it or stay happy in marriage, any of these things, without hope. So hope's important, so important, it's just, it's just like lifeblood to us, isn't it? But we want to grow in our understanding of what biblical hope is and, and care less about natural hope. Understand it, but not make that our, our rule or let it rule over us, because if we do, we're going to be slaves to that. Well, things that war against hope that you and I are well aware of, the, one of the biggies is worry. You could say that worry and hope are sibling rivals. Worry takes the wind out of hope sails, and I'm going to just be candid. I think you'd agree with me, even though I'm not a psychologist, and maybe some of you are, or one of you is, I don't know. But I don't think, personally, that we're going to shake ourselves from being critters or creatures that worry until we're home in glory. I think in our fallen human condition, it's natural for us to worry in life about different things. Some people are bigger worriers than others. Some are worry warts, and some are worry warts on steroids, and some people never seem to worry. But if you talk to them, they really are worried. They're, they're worried that they don't worry enough. And, and worrying is part of the human condition. It's part of the fallen human condition. We can't shake it, escape it. It's just part of who we are. But we can defeat it with biblical hope, not natural hope. Natural hope won't beat worry in your life. In fact, too much natural hope might lead to more worry. Because what if we say, oh, I just hope it doesn't rain, and it pours when I go camping. Well, now I'm really miserable. Well, I hoped that it wouldn't. But it didn't work that I just hoped, Right? Natural hopes that are often disappointed. Biblical hope is a different ball game altogether. Well-placed hope will win over worry, Bible hope. Where misplaced natural hope will often lead to more worry and disappointment and giving up on hope. So, the habits of hope. 
What are we talking about when we talk about this? The habits of hope. Well, we want to just give you four today in hopefully rapid succession, hopefully. Uh, sometimes I don't, I don't to do, it, do it so well. I went over first service. I thought, first service, I'm going to be right on the mark. Five minutes over. Oh, not good. So let's, let's truck. Let's move on along here. If I speak a little fast, it's not the coffee. I just want to be on time. So the habits of hope. Number one, here's a, here's a habit. Remember God's past faithfulness to his promises. Now, we don't have to look beyond Scripture, first of all, to see those. What are the promises he's made to people in times past? One of the greatest promises made and kept by our God is the promise made to Abram and Sarah in Genesis chapter 12. And, you know, that's just such a powerful passage, and I, I'll take a little time with it, and hopefully you're somewhat familiar with it. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Remember, his country was, was not Israel. Abram was in a pagan land, which, would, which today would be in Iraq, and he was over there. He was 75 years old, by the way, when this happened. Remember what we said? God constantly surprises us. Abraham did not have a relationship of faith with the living God. He didn't have the scriptures. But God mysteriously spoke to this man and said, Get up. Get up from your country and take all that is yours and go to another country. I'm going to make a promise to you. I'm going to make you the father of a promised people who are going to inhabit the promised land. Whoa, that's a pretty big promise to a guy that has no faith relationship at all with the living God, to a man that grew up in paganism, to a man who was basically a moon worshiper by his family background. And God breaks into time and space and history and speaks to this man. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. He must have wondered, am I hearing things? And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Life got interesting. Now, if you, uh, if you look at the inside of your worship folder, uh, sermon notes, I put a, a kind of a write-up there that I think captures this scene. And it's, it's a quotation. I think it's Lewis Mead's. And I put it inside your, your, your uh, writing so that you could refer to it. I'm going to read through it quickly. Abraham and Sarah, a couple nicely settled into retirement, looking for no adventures, wanting only some modest comfort in their own familial place. But sometime in the dead of night, perhaps, Abraham heard a voice. Heard it with an inner ear that no sound waves ever touch, but heard it with a clarity that no one who heard it could question. Go, the voice said. Take Sarah and go. Go where? Never mind. You will find out when you get there. But why? Because I have chosen you to be the father of a new nation that will bless all the peoples of the world. That's quite a promise. Abraham, as far as we know, had never heard the voice before. The voice could have been no more than a rumble from his own soul. But Abraham knew that it was a real voice he heard, and he knew whose voice it was. How did he know that he knew? What was Sarah thinking when she woke up before dawn and found her husband bustling about in the shadows with his foreman, loading down his pack animals and getting his flocks arranged for a long trek across the fertile crescent to the other side of the world? What in the world are you up to, my husband? Packing, as you can see. Where are we going? I do not know. <laughs> but why are we going? He told me to. Who's he? God. How do you know it was God? He spoke to me in a dream. And perhaps my husband only dreamed that God spoke to him. <laughs> Good wife, when God talks to you, you know that it is God who's talking to you. Abraham followed in faith. He followed in the hope that this was God's voice. And lo and behold, things unfolded in his life according to God's plan. But they were crazy. Let's be honest. They were absurd from a human perspective. 
Abraham was 75 years old when this happened, right? He was 75 years old. When he was 100, he becomes a father, and his wife was 90. What did we say? I'll say it again. God constantly surprises us. He does what we could never imagine, which isn't even possible humanly for a woman to have a baby at 90 years old. But what did Jesus say? He said, with God, all things are possible. Nothing shall be impossible. God was showing to Abraham and really to all of us who will be, he's the father of our faith. He was showing to all of us, I keep my word. I can work outside of the natural realm. I make promises and I keep them. I'm giving you but one tiny but yet good example of how God makes promises to his people and he keeps them, he fulfills them. The Apostle Paul, writing in the 2,000 years ago in, in New Testament times, writes about Abraham in the book of Romans. He says, as it is written, and it speaks, there it's referencing Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations. God did it. He fulfilled it. And so then Paul says, Abraham is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. I love this next statement. In hope against hope. Humanly speaking, Abraham shouldn't have had any hope. If, but that would have been natural hope, right? But Bible hope is bigger. It's different. It's, it's real. God fulfills what he promises. In hope against hope, he believed. God helped him believe that what God told him was true so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. <laughs> Today, we, at this point in history where we live, Abraham is the father not only of the Jewish nation but of every, every Christian in the world. He's a spiritual father. Is that amazing? Has God kept his word? Did it take a lot of strange twists and turns? Yes. Did, did uh, Abraham and Sarah ever fumble the ball? All the time. <laughs> but God kept bringing the living hope back, kept bringing it back, bringing it, keeping his word. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. He looked at the facts and he says, oh, my body's as good as dead. How am I going to become a dad at this age? And much less, how would my wife ever become a mother? And yet God did, despite all that deadness, God did the impossible. Two quick applications just from that biblical illustration. Hoping in God is a choice that we make. We say, Lord, I believe your word. I believe your promises. Help me to believe them when I really don't know if I believe them. <laughs> Help me in my unbelief. Hope and living by faith, they go together, don't they? They're like first cousins or something. We, they, 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 go, they go hand in glove. Well, there's more here today that I, I want to get through with you. So, the second thing, and it says number one there, but it's really my second point, is let Scripture transform you. A habit of hope is, of course, Bible hope. Better read the Bible if we're going to have Bible hope, right? We don't find Bible hope outside of the Bible. So that goes without saying. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, allow Scripture to dwell in you richly, not meagerly, richly, abundantly. means I need to be a student of the Word. means I need to take responsibility to feed myself in the Word. means I need to get to a Bible study here or there or a small group or Sunday school. But if I'm going to be, if I'm going to have a habit of hope, I need the Word to transform me into a person of greater hope. It's tied to the Word. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. As you listen to the Word of God today, the hope meter goes click, 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 click. As you go, leave here and you read the word for yourself, and it's, sometimes it's not what you feel like doing, or you've got to put something else down in order to do that, but it starts to work its way into your heart and your mind, and the hope meter goes click, 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 you're feeding it. 
You're feeding it the word of God, and the word of God is hope and it's life. You know, when King David went through some difficult days, and he went through a lot of those, it says to us in one place in the scriptures that David, when he feared that his own men were going to assassinate him because they were mad at him because of some things that happened, it says David got alone, and it says he encouraged himself in the Lord. He knew hope was just, well, I might be killed by these guys. Lord, who else will I go to? He turned to God. He got alone with God. He, he was encouraged, and he went back to his mission of leading his men, and the Lord was in that, and he helped David through that. Hebrews says that we have come to share in Christ if indeed that we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has just been said, and this is quoting Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. God's people have a history of rebelling against his revealed word. Abraham didn't have the scriptures when God called him out of Haran where he was living, but God still spoke to him. God speaks to us through the word. And this text in front of us today says, when you read it, read it to hear it deeply. Be careful that you don't just read it and ignore it. Read it and leave it. Pay careful attention to it. In fact, uh, if you look at the Hebrews 3.7, 3.15, and 4.7, there's a single phrase that's repeated th uh, three times, in, once in each of those passages. And it's, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Be careful with it. It's the living word. Don't, don't be trite with it. Think about it. Say, God, help me understand it. Help me apply it. And not just treat it lightly. The psalmist had hope in God's word. Psalm 130, verse 5, one of my life verses. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word do I place my hope. The word of God will give you hope. And then we come to, I'm going to have to bump this screen just to keep us moving here. Romans 15, 4 says, for everything that was written, it's speaking of the Bible, the Old Testament in particular here, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope instead of despair, instead of worry. Well, there's another one. Uh, number three, here's another habit of hope. Allow others to help you hope. What do I mean by that? Oh, I'm going to just be candid. If we're really honest people about this hope issue, there are days that we feel hopeless. And in those days, you know what we need? We need to be around people that will do our hoping for us. I'm serious. We need those friendships, those networks of, uh, of uh, healthy Christian relationships. And where do you find those, by the way? Uh, right here, primarily, right here. I met a man this last week that uh, gave me a, a taxi ride, and we had a long visit because we had quite a distance to cover, and found out that we're both believers in Jesus, and that was really exciting. We shared our, our personal stories of coming to faith in Jesus, but I learned as I listened to him that he had, he had really let go of coming to church, and he had his reasons for that. Uh, let me put it in this little statement. He was what we might call church hurt. He was church hurt. You know what that is, right? Somebody was unkind to me. Or somebody was mean to me, and they might have been. Or somebody was unfair to me, or what have you. And he was using that really as a place of dis distance now. Like, ah, oh, uh, not, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to go to church. And I didn't want to argue with him at all about that. But I could see how it was not helping his thinking. It was leaving, leading him to be discouraged. I thought, who's going to hope for him? I said, you know, brother, I said, uh, we're all part of the, the church, big C. 
me sitting next to you today, talking with you. Look how we've both been encouraged. And I was able to pray with him before I left him that day. I said, you and I need that on a regular basis from the body of Christ. And as imperfect as the body of Christ is, it's still the bride of Christ. Jesus died for it. And yes, it's imperfect because we're imperfect people. But if we take ourselves away from a fellowship where God has placed us to become friends with his other saints, one another, you know what happens is we kind of die on the vine. And we, de- we can deceive ourselves or kid ourselves that, oh, I can still be a strong Christian. No, you can't. You can be a, a diminished Christian. You can be a Christian, but you won't be a strong one. And who's going to do some hoping for you when you're all alone in isolation, when you need that hope? Years ago, I went through something really kind of sad and difficult that was my own doing and fault when I was a younger Christian. And I was ashamed and I was embarrassed and I was frustrated. And I thought, wow, I had all this excitement as a young Christian and I've really stumbled in this issue and now I wonder what's going to happen to me. And I was losing hope. And a guy that I'd met at church, I just opened my heart up and spilled my guts out. Talked to him and he looked at me and he said, Kent, I'll never forget this. He says, uh, his name is Jeff. He says, I have hope for you. That's all it took to see a person that I knew, also knew Jesus, loved Jesus, have a little more faith in me than I had at that time. That was all I needed to get going again. I thought, I think that's true. Even though I don't feel it right now, he feels it. He sees it. I believe him. He's a good man. I'm going to accept that. How many times have you done that for somebody else? You've hoped for them when their hope was low. Or how many times has somebody come to you and hoped for you? It's one reason we need community, isn't it? We don't want to be isolated as Christians. We don't want to let church hurt keep us from relationships. We all get hurt. We can get over our hurts because we, we, we love each other and we're the bride of Christ and Jesus is going to love on us for eternity and we can work through the struggles. We have to. So who's hoping for you right now? Who in your life is your Timothy? You know, Timothy in the Bible was a, was a hopeful person in the Apostle Paul's life, and the arrows went both directions. Paul was a great hopeful person for Timothy. Barnabas in the Bible is called a son of encouragement. That's what his name means. He just encouraged people. He did a lot of hoping for people. So my question simply is this. Who's your Barnabas? I hope you have a Barnabas. I hope you are a Barnabas to somebody. Who's your Timothy? Who's your Paul? You and I need those people. We need to be those people. Well, the next thing, habits of hope. Uh, habits of hope. I think I'm ahead of myself here. Let me, let me find myself on my notes. We want to move to, yeah, it's number four in the outline. Decide daily to be a person of hope. I guess this is review. Let me get to this. Bam, here it is. Decide daily to be a person. This is, this is the title of the message. Deciding who I want to be. Decide today you want to be a person of living hope because God's called you to be that. Please don't resign yourself to this wrong idea that you can't be a hopeful person or you can't live in greater hope than you do today. Please don't do that. It's not even consistent with our faith, is it? It's really not. Admit there is hope. Maybe we just need to say that today. Uh, So on three, we're going to say together, there is hope. One, two, three. There is hope. Now, I hope you truly believe it. Uh, because the Bible says this, it says anyone who is among the living has hope, so you could even apply that to a non-believer. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. (laughs) That's a little humor, but it's true. The fact that you're living and breathing and hearing a message right now means the fact you're here, you have hope. 
but it's so much bigger than, than we realize. If you are in Christ, if you are united in faith to Jesus Christ, you have a living hope. It'll never disappoint you either if you hold on to it tightly and know it well. Man, friends, that's the power to go through pain and difficulty when you let living hope hold you up. It doesn't ignore the pain of life. It lets you get through it well and say, yeah, I'm not going to die here. I'm not going to be overwhelmed by my discouragement. God, you got this. God, you're for me, not against me. I'm going to stand on what your word says. Oh, the living hope we have. But yet, the things that kill the soul are the lack of hope that come from despair and false hope. Not every hope is a Bible hope, right? There's a lot of things we can put our hope in that may or may not come to pass, and then we'll just be hurt and be disappointed. There was a woman named Lucy Grayley who, as a young girl, was diagnosed with cancer in her jaw. She went through a horrible thing. She had about a third of her jaw removed because of the cancer in that jaw. She went, underwent over 30 reconstructive surgeries in her young adult life to repair her face. And she put her hope again and again on the next surgery, the next surgery. After that next surgery, she says, I'm gonna, when I have my new face, then I'm going to start living. Then I'm going to start living. When I get this new face, then I'm going to be okay. Well, it's, it's, it's good. It's commendable to hope for the best and to work for the best and to aspire for the best thing. But the reality is in this fallen world and with sin in this world and disease in our bodies, and we may not, things may not shake out perfectly for us, and they didn't for her. Even though she got a good normal look to herself and she found friends and she found success as a writer, a lot of things went well for her. Her life ended at age 39 of a heroin overdose. We can look to the wrong things for hope or to cope with life. I'm going to just buzz through these last uh, couple of slides just in the respect for time. We can talk about them later if you want me to unpack them a little bit. But who are you looking to for your hope today? What are you looking to? Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. It doesn't mean they never have bad days or days of feeling hopeless. But if we will look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we won't be disappointed. If we pray to him and we look to his word and we let others hope for us and we, we build these habits of hope. There was a time in the ministry of Jesus when the disciples found themselves big. Many people were following Jesus and then many started to turn away. And they said, they said about Jesus, they said his teachings, they're, they're too hard to follow. This is too difficult. Who can hear him? And they left Jesus. Jesus turned then to his immediate followers, you know, the, the boys, the clan, and, and the women. There were some great women that were part of this. They're just not named enough, but they were there. And Jesus said, are you going to leave me also? You remember that story, that text? And Peter, he re replied so beautifully. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You can have hope by looking to the author of life and the, the author of your faith. But where else will you find it? You won't find, heroin isn't a place for hope or addictions or bad habits or this or that. We're not going to find hope there. Those are just to escape things. To whom else should we go? Can we go to Jesus? Father, thank you for the invitation today to look again to you, to know hope at a deeper level, a new level, I pray that everybody in this place today would just sense anew the calling to hopeful living so that that can lead to hopeful serving, hopeful loving, hopeful forgiving, hopeful everything. 
Thank you for giving us a living hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. Blessings.